This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. The road diverges and which road do you take? Do you take the avoidance road or do you take the I'll try this road, the sort of giving it a go road? And I think that's the tipping point because when you actually give something a go and you actually try it out and maybe kind of make it your own a little bit too, people are often very surprised. I talk about that in the book, the epiphanies people have that, for instance, you know what? This, this actually wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Uh, and you know what? I'm actually a little bit more capable than I thought I was. On the other side of fear, there's some pretty amazing discoveries that can happen, but nothing will happen if you don't take the leap. Good evening, hello, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. My name is Kevin Garber. This is... It's a Monkey Podcast. We talk about everything relating to the tech economy, startups, entrepreneurship, being the best version of yourself. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, I am the CEO of Manage Flutter. With me, as usual, is my co-host, Kate Frappel, who is the design lead at Manage Flutter. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back again. How's your week been? Not too bad. Pretty busy. Just finished with the social ROI chat this morning. It's actually something we should tell our podcast listeners about. Um, every Wednesday, no, Tuesday America time, Wednesday Australia time, yep. um, we do a Twitter chat called hashtag social ROI where we invite different guests and we have a topic around social media and we have a Twitter chat, which we won't get into uh, now, but it's essentially people tweeting around a topic and using a common hashtag. Um, so they're really fun. Join us at 8 a.m. Sydney time, which is about, what? what is it on the West Coast time? 4 p.m. Eastern time. So that's 4 p.m. on the East Coast and then probably about 1 p.m. on the West Coast. Yeah. Anyway, check out the Managed Flutter blog. The times are there. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We have a great show lined up for you. Coming up later on in the show, I chat to Andy Malinsky. Now, Andy's a professor at Brandeis University in international business and in the psychology department. And he's written a book. Um, his first book was Global Dexterity, but he's also written a brand new book, um, which only came out in January, and that's Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone. And I chat with him about... Um, his, his research into what holds us back into trying things that we find difficult. And I talked to him about strategies that, um, you know, well-defined mythologies that you can use to actually stretch yourself, not just, uh, um, you know, um, words of encouragement saying you can achieve anything or anything like that, something more concrete. So that's coming up later on in the show. Um, we're actually live on Periscope as well. Um, at the moment, we try to go live on Periscope. We record this on Wednesdays. Um, at the moment, it fluctuates during the day, sometime on Wednesday. Um, and the podcast goes live on Friday or Saturday. But we're going to try eventually lock in a time, um, a fixed time, where you can join us on Periscope. And um, we've got a few people popping in and out to the Periscope feed. So that's great. Otherwise, if you're listening on your podcast um, app. Thank you very much. Please, if you can, take a moment to review us on iTunes. That helps people discover us. It takes two seconds. Just tell them that you love the podcast and we'll be appreciative. As always, tech news, lots and lots happening. Kate, um, let's talk first about Facebook. We haven't spoken about Facebook for a while. We've spoken about WhatsApp, which is owned by Facebook, and their new status feature, which I've been using and trialing out, sort of a Snapchat stories for WhatsApp. 
that's uh, quite interesting. They've executed that on uh, quite well. But Facebook um, seems to have now opened up the ability for companies to list jobs that they have open. Something that LinkedIn has been, uh, you know, is, is the bread and butter of LinkedIn is recruiting. And Facebook now seem to have, are slowly trying to get into that territory. Tell us a little bit more about uh, um, Facebook jobs. Yeah, so um, small businesses now can create a status update on Facebook, um, but mark it as a, a job. Um, so then these jobs go into the newsfeed um, of potential candidates, so people that sort of fit the, the criteria or that work in the field. Um, and then, yeah, you can apply straight from the newsfeed on like a card. So similar to what you would see an ad in your newsfeed. Okay, so if you say, say you, um, I don't know, let's say for argument's sake, you, you Toyota, right? Now, and you would see just an ad for jobs at Toyota? No. You would see a – so Facebook have a job board essentially now. So you right. can also search for jobs. So right. you would search for automotive jobs. Right. And Toyota's listing would be there. Right. So it's a, it's a job board service essentially. Yes. But in addition to this, if you on your profile, for example, are a mechanic, then the likelihood of you being presented that Toyota ad in your newsfeed is likely. Right. Okay. So they can target. They can target yeah. using the the usual Facebook targeting. Um, do they provide tools for the companies on the back end side of things to list to manage their applicants? Do you know how far they've gone and on that side of things for the companies that are actually advertising these jobs? Yeah. So at the moment, it's um it's still very much a in its infancy. Um, so companies can obviously list the jobs uh, and create the job ad. Uh, when somebody applies, some of that information is pre-filled from your profile, so your name and maybe your education and information like that. And then there's also a field to describe what, um, why you would be the best candidate for that position. After that, however, um, all communication between the business and the potential candidate is done through Facebook Messenger. Okay, interesting. That that's interesting. I mean, Facebook Messenger we've spoken about before is a uh, Facebook's long-term play. It's so much. It's almost like the hub of a lot of what they're doing. Um, what, why I ask that question is, you know, even if you're a small business like ourselves, when you put a job ad out there, managing um, the job ads, applicants, and that whole process is actually really tricky to um, not get into yourself into a tangle you know if you yeah. just if you just get emails and you're trying to flick them on to other team members etc it you can get yourself into a tangle and lose track really really quickly and it's quite a big industry providing these type of platforms to help manage the candidate application process we use a um, product called workable mm. which um, does a fantastic job it's not perfect and I've um, wish there were some other f things that it could do but it it, it it really helps the different stages and you can collaborate and different team members can comment on a candidate mm. and I think Facebook would really need to take care of that side of things if yeah, they are definitely. to actually provide any value to companies that want to use their platform to as a job board or to advertise uh, for, for jobs. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think that's um, sort of where their biggest gap is at the moment. Um, but speaking of getting into a tangle though, I think the candidates themselves can also get into a bit of a pickle because your 
potential employee, um, employer, sorry, is uh, has access to see your profile and now has more reason to, to look at your photos on Facebook and the information and status updates that you've made in the past. So if anything, it's sort of like a warning for a lot of people to clean up uh, their public posts, at least on their Facebook profile. I've been cleaning up my over time every day when the Facebook memories comes on. I've been looking at all the memories of those couple of days and just cleaning up and seeing. I've never had anything uh, significant public at all, but I'm still, even the private side of things, you know, when Facebook first started um, and it was, you know, you were only friends on Facebook with some of your closest friends, you you were a little bit more liberal, I guess, mm. about what you said and shared. And um, I'm, I'm over time uh, cleaning up everything. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that... Um, you know, some people might even start new Facebook accounts or things like that. But definitely it's become more relevant as to what you tweet or share publicly on social media um, mm-hmm. or blogs or YouTube is, is very significant. And most employers do do have a look at that. So if Facebook's integrating the job side of things, it's going to be easier. If you apply through Facebook, they're going to have your Facebook account right there. They're, they're yeah. not even going to have to search for it, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, the other thing is as well that Facebook already have all these sort of tools to segment uh, who you can share with. So you can create um, favorites or groups. You can categorize people as acquaintances. And then when you make your status update, you can choose who gets to see them. So you can be just close friends or just friends and acquaintances. Um, so it's all there, but it's not often that I hear people using those features. No, most people don't. As far as I know, most people don't use mm. those targeting. I did once, um, a friend of a friend sent something about a sign she saw in Sydney and um, she it was a bit of a controversial um, sign and she shared it on Facebook and she noted that I've only shared this with six targeted people and I'm interested in your opinion. That's the only time I've actually really noticed that. That's a nice that, way to put it. Mm, so um, I if think... If you let people know, um, I fall into this trap too. I created the close friends and then made a status update and it still didn't get... I, I thought it would get more engagement. So from my close friends would reply more often, but I guess they don't know that you've only shared it with them. Yeah, They still think you've shared it with everyone. Um, But yeah, I suppose if you wrote a little note at the bottom to say, I've only shared it with six people. They they might be more encouraged to to comment about that. Well, it'll be interesting. Apparently it's only launching Facebook, um, this job board side of things, only launching in the North America for the time being, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. and obviously LinkedIn will be, who's owned by Microsoft now, will be keeping a close eye on this. Also, Facebook have been, you know, talking about their Facebook at work platform for quite a while, mm. um, which is, you know, in, in competition with Slack and, and other type of products. It'll be interesting to see how that this fits in. I think mm. they get, it's, it's going to be hard. I mean, their brand is not exactly an enterprise brand, not to say that it's going to be impossible, but it's going to be a little bit of a hard sell initially to, to have companies start using Facebook services on the enterprise level. Sure, sure. I mean, interestingly interestingly as well, um, I was able to find the jobs board. So they've released it in Australia. Oh, they have? Yeah. There's there's a minimum minimum amount of uh, jobs there and there's a lot of jobs overseas. Right. There's a lot of American jobs listed there, but I can still see it on my profile. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, look, it's a big business, jobs and job boards and um, 
it's all different niche job boards and maybe, you know, LinkedIn's just built on, on recruiting. Um, so um, let's keep an eye on that one. Other news story, um, which is exciting. Now, a few, a few months ago, we had Roy Benbenishi from an Israeli startup called Sesame Enable, which had a terrific app for um, disabled people to navigate around their mobile phones using their head. And accessibility and helping people um, is definitely an interest of mine. You know, uh, the, the internet is, is such a wonderful world for everyone, and we should try help everyone gain access. And I stumbled upon this article um, of mind reading typing tool for paralyzed people is fastest yet. And this is one of these articles that I love where you're just like, wow, the future is here. So, um, Kate, they've got some technology where you can almost just think and move um, or type just by thinking and this is designed um, at this stage mainly for people that that are paralyzed that have been uh, you know got degenerative diseases or been in accidents tell us a little bit more about um, you know what's going on on on, on with this development yeah so uh, three people uh, with paralysis have learned to type by thought alone um, so what they've done is they've put a um, a silicon patch uh, covered in hundreds of tiny probes onto a the primary motor cortex. So that's the region of your brain that controls movement. Mm -hmm. And basically you can direct a cursor around the screen um, by thinking about moving your body parts. So there's a case study on the article which will be on the website um, which says uh, one one of the guys who tested it he, when he wanted to move something to the right, he had to imagine his hand on a ball mm-hmm. and then rotating it to the right. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's he can't do that, but if he can imagine it and think about doing it, the cursor will move to the right. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. it's, it's really... Um, and this, you know, obviously the first stage is helping people that desperately need it and want access, but you can almost see a situation where people that are able-bodied, there may be, yeah. may be an interface option where you train the mind around certain, you know, every time you think of, yes, um, I don't know, hitting a tennis racket with your right hand, that moves yeah. something. Yeah, so, you, so it triggers it. Mm. Another thing as well, this guy could um, think about selecting a particular... Uh, letter on the screen. So essentially on the screen with the cursor are letters. So he's typing out an email, for example. But he's got to move the cursor to the letters on the screen. Um, and to select a particular letter, he thought about clicking his fingers. Right. And so he uses the ball motion to direct uh-huh. and then thinks about clicking to select. It's fantastic. Yeah. And, this and it's obviously uh, these thoughts all have an, a unique signature, right? They all have a unique signature that that the software analyzes, and every time you think about uh, moving over the ball, it triggers that unique signature. Yeah, and so they're averaging about six to eight words a minute, which is two to four times faster than their previous efforts, which were used uh, similar to the uh, Sesame Enable, where they either use eye movements or head movements to mm. direct something. Fantastic. I mean, it's really... The applications for this technology is really, really huge, and um, it's as I say, if you, if it gets into the area, you, you know, of mature development, it might even be f- for for able-bodied people a real option of, of mm. navigating around just by thinking. Yeah, um, interesting technology, and uh, I think the uh, the breakthrough here is the speed as well. Mm. So that the faster they can get the 
the brainwave, I guess, to talk to the computer and make that connection between, you know, whatever the brainwave did and what the, where the cursor needs to go. The faster you can do that, the faster they can type, essentially. Yeah, fantastic. Um, we'll put a link to this article. There's a video there as well. I'll try even reach out um, to to these people and uh, see if we can get them on the show. Academics sometimes is I find there's sort of two types of academics. There's a lot of academics are real qu- quiet achievers and they they're not big on talking on podcasts. And mm. um, th- there was a similar type of article around. Um, brain hacking that I sent you a while ago and I sent I, I sent the the lead researcher an email and um, she emailed me back and cc'd about four or five co-researchers and said um, you know there were there were lots of people involved in this is it possible if we can all come on the podcast and I said to yeah. her look I'd, <laughs> I'd love to but it's and I can understand why you want to, but it's it'll be really confusing for listeners if they if they hear lots of people. So she she didn't want the, want that uh, exclusive glory. But I'll try reach out to them, and we'll put um, a link and then and uh, on the on our show notes. And when I see articles like this, this is what technology is about. You know, I mean, the, the really significant. If you're the person that's struggling to interact with a computer because you um, you know have one of these degenerative d- diseases, and it just suddenly opens up the world, um, you're, you're your whole life is changed by this technology. So that's uh, very exciting stuff. Anyway, you're listening to episode 83 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and uh, being the best version of yourself within the, the professional framework and other. Um, if you do like what you hear, send us a tweet at Monkey Podcast. Tell your friends about us. Um, check out our previous episodes at our website. We have some fantastic previous episodes with people like Dr. John Demartini, um, David Hanemeyer Hansen. Coming up um, in the next few months, we've got some great people we're going to be interviewing. I got confirmation we're going to be talking to Kevin Kelly, who's a really famous, I think he's one of the founders of Wired Magazine, very, very famous sort of technology commentator. He's written a new book and um, hopefully we're going to be chatting to him in June as well, a little way away, but Hmm. I've locked that in. Um, Anil Dash, um, who's the CEO of Fog Creek Software, I'm hoping to chat to him sometime. Um, It's semi-confirmed. So, we, we're working hard to bring you the guests. If you know anyone who wants to be on the podcast, drop us a line at podcast.itamonkey.com. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back um, with our interview with um, Andy Malinsky chatting about his new book, Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone. Stick with us. Hi, this is Dave with Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter is a tool that helps you work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You'll also get useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Manage Flitter, also the co-host of this podcast. Now, as you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, one of the areas that I am very interested in is what I call the human layer of our industry. Even though our industry is a technology industry, 
um, in a way. But it's actually every business is actually a people business, and every business is made up of individuals with their own strengths and their weaknesses. And one of my interests is this human journey and how to get the best out of yourself, how to get the best out of your team. And I stumbled upon um, a great book a couple of weeks ago, um, and I managed to get hold of the author who I'm, who's on my Skype line. I'd like to introduce to the show. Um, Professor Andy Malinsky, who's the author of the book, Reach, A New Strategy to Help You Step Outside Your Comfort Zone, Rise to the Challenge and Build Confidence. That's hot off the presses. And Professor Malinsky is also a professor of international management and organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School with a joint appointment in the Department of Psychology and has also written a previous book called Global Dexterity, How to Adapt Behavior Across Cultures Without Losing Yourself in the Process. Professor Malinsky, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Whilst I was researching this book, something, something dawned on me, this getting outside of your comfort zone. An image came to me of our, all of our ancestors many, many uh, thousands of years ago sitting around a fire and most of them quite happy just sitting and chatting and doing a bit of hunting. And maybe one of them just looking far out onto the horizon, onto some hills and, and thinking to himself or herself, you know, I wonder what's out there. And it's pretty scary, but I'm just going to go for it. So I think since, since the beginning of time, this tension between staying in our comfort zone and getting out of our comfort zone has probably been part of our makeup, right? It's funny when you said that, I, when, you, when you're talking about our ancestors, I immediately was starting to think about my ancestors, not my sort of ancient ancestors, <laughs> right. but more, you know, we're, a, you know, America is a country of immigrants. Sure. And so pretty much everyone's ancestor, not everyone, but almost everyone I know at least has ancestors who were doing exactly what you're talking about, probably not sitting around a fire, probably, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but, you know, in some, some degree of, uh, uh, poverty deprivation, um, some s sort of, uh, not so great situation somewhere else in the world, many, many, many times in Europe and, and decided to, to take a leap. And it's, it's tremendously courageous when I hear the stories of my ancestors coming from Europe here and the travails that they endured to get here and what it must have been like to absolutely step outside their comfort zone. So yes, I think that's an apt image. <laughs> and I've never heard that before. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a nice way to start. Now, what I found quite interesting is we all have a sense that of our, what's in our comfort zone and what's outside of our comfort zone. We're all different to what we find quite challenging. But what I found quite interesting in your book is you actually break it down into why people find um, it's tough to step out of their comfort zones. You, you actually unpack it into a few specific reasons why it jars them. Can you talk about some of those, um, those findings that, that you talk about in your book? Sure, absolutely. So, so um, I know a lot of listeners are, are entrepreneurs or working in tech businesses. I certainly spoke with entrepreneurs um, and in tech businesses. I also spoke with spoke with and interviewed and observed managers delivering bad news, performing d delivering uh, perform negative performance reviews, doctors performing painful procedures on children. I could tell you about that. Police officers evicting people from their homes, actors, students 
priests, rabbis, teachers, even a goat farmer, <laughs> all sorts of people. And what and to get to your point, what I found and what was so striking and what from my perspective was really exciting is that the challenges of stepping outside your comfort zone across all these cases really did boil down to five different things that I found. Um, the first was authenticity. The idea that you know it's that that me stepping into this role into this situation, th- this just doesn't feel like me, and 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 because it doesn't feel like me, it's very uncomfortable and anxiety producing. So, for example, I actually spoke with a bunch of young entrepreneurs uh, here in the United States who um, who struggle to pitch their ideas to venture capitalists to get funding for their businesses. They they told me about how they never they'd have to put on a suit, let's say, and they never would wear a suit, or they had to pretend to put their grown-up voice on and really sort of act in a way that just simply didn't feel authentic, and that's very uncomfortable. So authenticity would be one. Another one's likability. The idea that worrying people won't like or even hate this sort of new version of you. Um, I, 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 there's a very poignant story in the book about, about a woman who, who, um, uh, was being undermined by a male colleague and, and it was so, it was so, uh, off the charts inappropriate that she simply had to confront him, but she was afraid to, because believe it or not, she was worried that he would hate her, mm. even though of course he was the incredibly unlikable one. Uh, so likability. So we got authenticity, likability. Another one's competence. The idea that you're afraid you look like a fool, uh, like giving a speech. Another one could be resentment. A lot of people do feel re- resentful that they have to adapt. I mean, logically, they know they do. You know, when in Rome, act like the Romans or in a new role, I, I know I need to adapt logically, but psychologically, they, they felt resentful. Um, and then finally, morality. I, I did find several cases of people who who really struggled uh, almost on moral grounds you know um i opened the book with a story about a young entrepreneur who ended up having to fire her best friend from her startup um so so authenticity likability competence resentment and morality now of course you're not going to experience necessarily all these but but even one can make it hard to step outside your comfort zone I found in our, in our industry tech startups, especially on the you know the, the developers side of things, the engineers, authenticity is a really really big one for them. You know where they, um, and you see this where they they don't like to do um, things like networking events a lot of the time. I know you mentioned an example in your book of one of your MBA students. Um, from Israel who found that the networking events felt quite superficial and were struggling with that. So I think in our industry, I think, you know, developers and engineers, they've got big bullshit detectors. And and as soon as that starts going off, they struggle to, to, to just even convince themselves. I think also in the, in the tech industry, the, the resentment actually can, can, I've seen it rear its head very very quickly if there's team changes or there's someone's been promoted who they think doesn't de- deserve to be promoted i see the resentment um, you know building up very quickly i, I see it all, I, I also see it in the my experience in the in the tech world of um people who have to go into sales mm. who aren't who aren't sales people by nature and they feel it's almost like slimy and dirty and just sort of they feel so uncomfortable trying to convince someone of something uh, you know they just want to create the product and make it like just like the perfect product and then when they have to kind of sell they feel very I mean people I've talked with feel very uncomfortable so if someone 
feels uncomfortable. I mean, when, when is it? When is it a good uncomfortability? When is it a bad uncomfortability? Obviously, there's hard and firm boundaries like um, you know illegality and things like that, which which should always be, in my opinion, you know, a, a hard boundary. But beyond that, if someone's working as an engineer in a, in a company and they start feeling butterflies in their stomach or uncomfortable, how can they self-reflect to know whether this um, you know, process of pushing themselves, they're actually going to be better for it in the long run or they should remain true to their own selves and path and perhaps just shrink back? I think that is a very good question and that's a dilemma that I think a lot of people struggle with. And I think actually, actually surfacing that dilemma is really important because I think people sort of unconsciously feel that and oftentimes just veer towards avoidance. But, you know, the question I always suggest to people is if you didn't feel, if you could wave a magic wand and you could um, not feel any anxiety, not feel uncomfortable in the situation, would it be something that you'd want to go for? Would it be something that you'd want to improve at? Would it be something that would be valuable to your career, for instance? And if the answer is yes, you know, that to, you know, to round out my set of skills as an entrepreneur, I really do need to learn to network. I do need to do sales or whatever it is, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I, I might feel like they think I'm a jerk. I might feel inauthentic, et cetera. But, you know, I, there's, there's some value here. If that's the case, then I think the answer is, is, is that this is a case where it probably is worth applying some of the tools and techniques I talk about in my book to, to really try to step outside your comfort zone. But if the answer is no, if it's, you know what, I just am not interested in this. This is just not me. It's not important. I don't want it to be part of my career. You know, then you've got a different pathway, I think. And I think also it's about what ultimate outcome someone wants to achieve. For instance, if someone is working as a senior developer in a tech company, but they'd like to be CEO one day, the outcome of, of being a CEO and having to be able to deal with different scenarios and have different skill sets and, you know, it's, it's going to require them to stretch and evolve and develop all sorts of other talents, which is going to mean that they need to get out of their comfort zone. So I guess it's what their, their end game is about as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's what they're striving for. It's funny when you were talking about that. I was just thinking of an article I read in the New York Times magazine this weekend about how in the United States and I imagine elsewhere in the world, you know, there's there has to be a lot of personal reinvention now because there are a lot of people who don't have certain skills and can't find jobs. This is on the lower end of the economy. And there are actually jobs, but there's a misfit between the capabilities of the of the applicants and the and the qualities that that employers want. And of course, some of it's retraining, but I think some of it also is learning to step outside your comfort zone. I think it actually is a critical skill to bridge that gap. So that's at that's at that level. But the level you're talking about, absolutely. If you're striving to become a CEO, you're gonna you're gonna need a lot of companies. You know, for a lot of companies require their their would-be senior leaders, their sort of their stars, up-and-coming stars, to have this surrounded out a set of skills. I know that from working with HR professionals, and so I know that acting outside your comfort zone is critical. What's so exciting is, you know, human capability is so 
bendable and it's and 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 potential. We, we you know sometimes I look at my team and I've even you know had a couple of team members that have just grown into their role so well and we're just this bundle of potential that if we channel our our force and energy for good, you, you know I know it's a cliche but really anything really is possible. It really is true sometimes, right? It really is as simple as that with some application and some um, some focus and importantly some motivation and interest. Anything really is possible. I agree. And, you know, I think that's my book is really oriented around helping people actually take the leap because that's the tipping point. And it sounds sort of cliched and obvious, but it's not actually that obvious to try to deconstruct what the and unpack what the critical capabilities you need to actually take a leap, to actually go for it. You know, the road, you know, the road diverges and which road do you take? Do you take the avoidance road or do you take the I'll try this road, the sort of giving it a go road? And I think that's the tipping point because when you actually give something a go and you actually try it out and maybe kind of make it your own a little bit too. People are often very surprised. I talk about that in the book, the epiphanies people have that, for instance, you know what, this this actually wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Uh, and you know what, I'm actually a little bit more capable than I thought I was. On the other side of fear, there's some pretty amazing discoveries that can happen, but the those n- nothing will happen if you don't take the leap. That's what I find so interesting about the mind. I mean, the mind serves us in many ways and it's, you know, engineered to protect us. But it's in this case, um, stretching ourselves, I don't think it always does the best job because in a way the opportunity cost of not taking the risk, so to speak, of not stepping outside your comfort zone is higher than the potential downside of um, whatever it is you're trying to do not working out, right? And somehow the mind gets that the wrong way around. Yeah, it's it's I think it's the that's that's the cognitive cold side of the mind. But the I think in these cases, the hot emotional side of the mind wins the day. It trumps the it it trumps cognition and self threat looms large. Right. When you're feeling and those are the self threats we talked about before. You know, you're feeling inauthentic. You're feeling anxious. You're feeling ashamed. You're feeling uncomfortable. You're feeling whatever it might be all those types of anticipatory emotions that result from those, you know, we talked about authenticity, likability, and so on. That's what dominates. And so, yeah, you can't sort of bring to bear your your logical structures because the emotions, I think, loom larger. There used to be a school of thought that if you wanted to be a CEO, uh, you should start out doing some cold calling at some point in your business, uh, in, in your business life. And I started my first business when the internet was only still flapping its wings. And I did do some cold calling to get my first few customers. And what was interesting is the psychology around that is a, what, you did have a lot of fear of rejection and you thought a lot more about that fear than the fear than 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 the excitement that this could be the customer that could really launch your business and change everything and you would you would you know get a real palpable sense of that and it's I still recommend people if they you know if you want to be a CEO and get control over your mind and observe your mind do some cold calling that's definitely um, you, you you learn a lot uh, when you cold call <laughs> it's true and you know it's it's um 
that's actually that that makes me think of yet another reason why it's critical to take the leap, which is the idea of sort of desensitization, the idea that, you know, you're afraid of doing something, but then you do it and then you try it again and then you try it again, as you're talking about with cold calling. And it doesn't mean that you're numb to the experience, but it means that you start to develop some control and confidence over it. It's not some sort of scary thing in the distance. It's something that you actually are you know, sort of involved in. And I think it loses some of its power over you in a sense. Um, that's, that's why I think when you're learning to step outside your comfort zone as well, it's critical that you have multiple occasions to actually do it. So if you're afraid of delivering bad news and you only do it once a year, you know, it's probably not going to help to step outside your comfort zone. Uh, so, but yes, that's a, it's interesting about cold calling. And what, what I found with cold calling and, and now I try to apply it to any moments where I, I have that type of fear is if I started thinking about it too much, I would, I would, I would paralyze myself. I would, you know, what if this person gets annoyed? I'm annoying them. They've had a bad day. They're going to think I'm a sleazy salesperson, et cetera, et cetera. But if I would almost just count to four, dial, chat to them, you know, and I found that technique has stood me um, in good stead. And we'll chat shortly about, you've given some, um, some resources of how people can sort of move ahead beyond their own comfort zone. But I found that, that there are times in life where overthinking doesn't serve us and I would almost just count to four and go, right, on the count of four, I'm just calling them. There's nothing left to think about. One, two, three, four, call. <laughs> and it was just right. quite, a, quite a simple technique that helped me get over the hump. And, and I still use that one, two, three, four technique if i have to have a, a difficult conversation that i'm knowing just say right count of four let's let's bring them into the boardroom let's go for it and let's have this conversation <laughs> it's that's it's almost like a technique for getting past the the final few paces the final few steps although i think there are probably other strategies you might have used to get to the point where you were able to use the one two three four technique perhaps well let's let's get into your three critical resources for moving ahead that you chat about in the book, which are, which are quite useful. Sure. Uh, so the first one's conviction, you know, and that, that might connect to your one, two, three, four that, you know, on the, before you even get to that point where, where you're on the cusp of doing something, you need to find the conviction, that sort of deep sense of purpose. It's almost like giving yourself psychological permission to do something when every bone metaphorically speaking in your body is saying no you need to say yes and you know the, that sense of conviction comes from very different places it might mean you know this is something we talked about this you know people striving to be a ceo for example or just to move up in their careers or to round out their set of skills you know you might decide you know networking is really uncomfortable for me but if i want to achieve what i want to achieve I, i've just got to do this that that's an example of conviction um for some people it's about helping others you know that that i've just got to do this to be able to help others i remember when i spoke with lily chang who was a young entrepreneur at the very outset of the book who had to fire her best friend her source of conviction was was i mean it felt awful imagine having to fire your best friend maybe some of our listeners have had to do something like that i, I certainly haven't um but for her, in the end, she, 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 she realized, she came to the realization that this is what she needed to do for her business, uh, for her investors, and also for all the other employees who had sacrificed um, higher paying, more stable jobs to join her startup. So, you know, with that in mind, she had the sense of conviction that got her to the top of the hill when she could then apply your one, two, three, four technique. So, so conviction. Uh, that's really critical. Another one was customization. And this, I'd have to say that this is probably the most surprising and maybe even the most exciting 
finding that I had is, is how much power people have to sort of sculpt the situations that they find themselves in. Um, you know, I, I think in a lot of situations outside our comfort zones, we feel a little bit helpless and powerless. But if you think about it, you have more power than you think. Um, you can make subtle little tweaks uh, to make something just that little bit more comfortable, just that little easier for you to get up the hill, push yourself up the hill. So you could change your body language. You can bring a prop. You can bring that pa- wear that power suit. No one else knows you're no you're wearing it, but you you know that lucky charm. I, I when I was I talk about in the book. I'm pretty sure I do. Um, how earlier in my career as I was I was really uncomfortable with public speaking about maybe 15 years ago. Now I'm very comfortable. I do it all the time. But 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 I used to wear a, a lucky ring, and that that ring was actually a ring that my um, my great uncle found on the beaches of the South Pacific during World War II. He was in the Navy, and I thought to, I always thought to myself that, um, gosh, if he if, if if he could do that, I, I can do this. It was sort of this like little memory of courage for myself. No one else knew it. Anyways, there are all sorts of things you can. Um, I have I have a student. Uh, this is not a work context, although it could be. Uh, she this is really a social context. She's very uh, introverted and very awkward, but she really wants to meet friends and expand her social circles. And so she brings a prop to social situations, like to a party or a get together. And her prop is a selfie stick. I read about that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. And she went in great detail about how it, it it sort of facilitates her social interaction in all sorts of ways. You know, even to the point of enabling her to gather email addresses to to sort of connect after the fact and show the you know share the pictures and so on. So I mean, I think there are, there are many, many, many more ways, and I detail it very you know clearly in the book all the ways that you could do this. But but I, I think it's really cool to know that you actually have more power than you think. So so that's that's some of uh, that's that's some of um so, some of what you can do to to, to overcome the barriers. And I think, um, as you mentioned, they, they don't have to be overhauls. They just can be tweaks, right? It's, you don't have yeah. to become someone you're not. But you can stretch yourself. Uh, you know, the beautiful thing about compounding you know, is that it compounds, right? So if you stretch yourself every week just a little bit, and by the end of the year, um, boy, you've, you've really shifted, you know? Absolutely. And, and I, I think the point you made earlier is really important. And I deeply believe that you you should not be feeling like you're not yourself. In fact, you should. The goal of these customization techniques is quite the opposite. It's actually to try to feel more like yourself in these situations that otherwise you might not feel very comfortable and you might feel ill at ease. So, you know, try to make it just that little tweak to make it feel just a little more comfortable. I was, I was talking the other day with a colleague of mine who's a very experienced banker. And he said to me, he read my book and he's like, he, he's, he, he emailed me and he said to me, you know what? I just realized I did customization like 20 years ago when I started out, I had to give this really big speech and I was terrified. And so I had a buddy of mine fly in from New York and sit eight throw center and have a big smiling face as I was talking and it eased my tension and enabled me to give the speech. So I was, it's funny. There are all sorts of ways that people do this, maybe not even thinking. Yeah, and you have to you have to do what you need to do to sort of uh, you trick your mind. I think our minds this wonderful, powerful machine, but in a way, it's it it can have these biases and these self protective mechanisms that somehow that sometimes are not in our best interests. That um, you know we've got to grapple with. I've got uh, uh, one of my business mentors. He's um, a very experienced sort of you know. Um, 
um, been in the industry for a long time, and our industry is very weighted towards younger people, obviously. And he says sometimes if he's in a meeting and he starts thinking too much about the fact that he's in the oldest person in the room by far, and this is his words, I'm quoting him here, he says, I can feel the power drain out of my fingers. Mm. You know, and and so he doesn't go down that, um, you know, and often these these biases about ourselves that we have, no one else notices and no one else cares. They are our own um, complexes. So this is what I, I like about even just the framework of always thinking about looking forward and outwards as opposed to contracting and being self-aware of things that are only really a problem to ourselves. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I've, I've felt that myself as I'm getting older. <laughs> it is. And I, I mean, we were chatting on, on last week's episode when we were talking about um, work-life balance with Monique Velko, who's an executive coach. She was saying that she's heard stories about people in our industry um, getting um, reconstructive surgery in their 30s to look younger because they feel that they, they're looking too old for our industry, which I thought was really radical. That's incredible. I know Monique. You have to tell her I say hello. <laughs> oh, great. The small, <laughs> small world. Small world. <laughs> yeah. Professor Andy Malinsky, thank you very much. Um, Andy's book is, is uh, fresh off the press. You can get it on Kindle, hard copy, hardcover, the works. Um, I bought myself a Kindle uh, version. Um, the, the, the name of the book is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. Professor Malinsky is a professor of international management and organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School. Um, it's also his previous book. Have a, have a look at that as well. Global De- Dexterity, How to Adapt Behavior Across Cultures Without Losing Yourself in the Process. I, th- I thank you very much for joining us. We'll put the links to your book on the show notes. And um, all the best. I hope, uh, I hope it, they, it continues to do well. Thanks so much. This is really fun chat. I'm, I'm glad you had me on. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Check Dog. Use Check Dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. Check Dog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, you know what I like about um, Andy's book is there's a lot of books that are telling, you know, encouraging people um, that to you know, extend beyond your comfort zone, be the best that you can, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What I like about Andy's book is he actually breaks it down. He breaks down why people don't go beyond their comfort zone into this framework of, you know, people are worried about authenticity, competence, resentment, likability, and morality. So there's something, there's a framework that people can actually reflect back upon if they're struggling to do something. They go, right, does, does it, which one am I hitting against, right? Is it that authenticity? Is it a resentment? Is it the morality? And then he's got a framework to move forward from that um, into, the, you know, the, um, 
bridge it by using clarity, conviction, and customization. And I find I'm someone that I really work well with, when, when, especially when it comes to slippery things like communication and you know managing your own psychology. Um, I, f- I work really well with the framework and a methodology. It's mm-hmm. not suddenly it's not abstract. You're not saying to someone you can achieve everything you can achieve or try something you don't like. And well, it, it just. But when they say right, have a look. There's obviously you know. Doing something you don't like, it's obviously either fitting into an issue with authenticity or competence, et cetera, et cetera. And then if, if I hit, right, yeah, I am I am worried about authenticity that if I push myself to do this, I'm not being true to myself. Yep, that makes sense. How can I tweak that to do that in an authentic way? Suddenly there's, there's a... Um, you know, there's a there's a formula and a methodology around that to move to the next step. Not something just slippery when you say to people, right? You know, stretch yourself, do the best yeah. that you can. You know, so I really I find that really useful. Yeah, there's a common um, a common practice around having uh, big goals and then breaking them down into smaller tasks. So you only well, the idea is that you only need to think of the next three steps and that's all that you can afford to put brain space into. So even though it might take you 20 steps to get there, you don't worry about the other 17. You only worry about the next three. And then when you do those three, you go, okay, what are my next three? Dale Carnegie. Have you heard of the author Dale Carnegie? No. Very, very famous guy. He died a long time ago. He wrote a few famous books, uh, The Art of Influencing People, um, oh, sorry, no, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Mm. It was a very famous book of his. And Heard the title. Yeah, and there was some other book he wrote about stress or anxiety or something, I can't remember. But the one thing I remember he said is a real nice phrase, live in daytight compartments, right? Okay. Meaning deal with today, today as a compartment. Don't worry about tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, you know. Mm. And that's that's quite a nice you know, it's back to your point of only worry about the next two or three steps yeah. as well. And um, as I mentioned in my interview with him, that um, I certainly find that overthinking things when you're trying to go beyond your own comfort zone can work against you as well. Oh, definitely. I think there's a big, um, a big, I guess, conversation lately around imposter syndrome mm. um, and people sort of feeling like they're not capable of doing something or not having the confidence to be in a certain role or pull off a certain gig um, when really they are. They are or they need very minimal training to be there type of thing. Mm. It's, it's mainly just sort of hacking your mind to believe that you can do these things if you really want to. What would you like to do that's beyond your comfort zone that you find difficult? It's oh, a tricky one. Um, Don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah no, you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's lots of, like, there's no one thing that I would, that I would do. There's lots of Lots and lots of things I would do. Yeah. Give um, us one. One would be, I guess, uh, I would really like to be a mural artist. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of strange. But, uh-huh. um, Interesting. And, of course, you yeah. come from an art background, so it ties yeah. in with that, right? Yeah. No, I'd love to sort of be – to just get away from a computer altogether, uh-huh. which is a scary thought, uh-huh. and paint murals all day. But – I've tried painting things at large scale before and it's much harder than you would think it is. Um, small scale is a lot easier. Um, but, yeah, I mean, something like that, you know, it's, you know, you could set up like a, a small business and target, I guess, preschools or something that would want things painted on their walls. Um, or even startups. You did, you did our mural. 
with some did, help. With some help. Uh, but even that's not very complicated. It took us a very long time. Mm, it's tricky. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, over the year, I'm obviously a little bit older than you, and over the years, I've stretched myself to do to do things. I, I've actually got a bit of. I wouldn't say I, I don't want to answer that question with like you know when you ask someone in an interview you know what what are your weaknesses and they say I work too hard you know mm-hmm. I don't want to answer it like that but I I do have a little bit of a challenge in the other aspect is I've I've got a little I'm a little bit of a sucker for punishment as well you know and sometimes mm-hmm. I make my life tricky because I actually put myself in environments like when I was in year one or two, I decided to go for the trial out for the big swimming carnival, the youngest <laughs> kid, and I sort of didn't even make the one length, and I didn't know what was I think. <laughs> I get it, you know, and I, I did two extra subjects for HSC, and then I land up with all this extra work and stress, and I'm like, what am I doing this for? And, yeah. you, you know, so there, there's almost like a, yeah, I don't know if, if I, I just uh, I, I sort of, um, you know, and you obviously stretch yourself into it a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, I, another I, example for me with the this podcast, like initially, no way, no way, I'm going to public speak, no way, I'm going anywhere near a microphone. Uh-huh. And even now, it's it's not the most comfortable thing, but I just feel like I've come a long way since the first episode. Absolutely, you've done great. Um, and to your credits, I mean, I've worked with you for what three years, something like that, nearly three. Yeah, feels longer, but. Um, um, and you've definitely, you've definitely always risen to the challenge. And you know, one of my jobs as CEO is to actually see the potential in people that you can stretch. You know, people and and um, and definitely when you see someone that you feel that can stretch beyond where they at, you 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 throw them a few little extra extra pieces and and see mm-hmm. how it goes. You know, and to your credit, you have. Um, dealt with a lot of tricky bits and pieces and uh, dealing in a, with a tech startup where you're dealing with a lot of technical people whose language is a very specific language and doing the mm. podcast. But um, it's exciting to be able to look back on the year and see how you've grown in certain ways, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a good thing in terms of like I'll, I'll give nearly anything a go. Um, but at the same time, if someone says, do you consider yourself a podcaster? I'd still be like, oh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of do one in the office boardroom sometimes. Because <laughs> you've got the wonderful Australian quality of humility. And it's definitely what Australia's one of the, the many things it's known for is the, the humility. And, um, you know, I think one of the challenges I'd like to take on is, is to get really, really fit. You know, my fitness mm. is okay. Um, but I'd like to get really, really fit and, um, you know, even just to whatever fun triathlons or biathlons or something like that. I've never been that level of fitness and it's something that I, you know, I love that feeling when you start getting fit and you become yeah. addicted to those endorphins and you start fantasizing about your exercise. Yeah. Um, the fittest I've ever been was after a yoga retreat a few years ago and I was running and doing yoga at the same time. And I would think about the running when I was doing the yoga and think about the yoga when I was doing the running. And that was, that was quite interesting. Wow. It was really, yeah, I was yeah. I was enjoying the buzz of it all. Mm. They do say with exercise one of the, uh, the ways to get hooked, I guess, and, and really enjoy it is to dedicate yourself to doing it every day for uh, – Six weeks. Remember, 
I think it's six weeks. There's, weeks? there's a particular time frame that, you know. Breaking that, habits that, and creating habits. Yeah, that yeah. first that first time period is super hard, but don't break it, push through. And then after that, it becomes easier yeah. and you end up wanting to exercise. Yeah, and, I've, I, and that's the only time I've actually been, I think when I was a teenager with um, working out at gym, I, I did. I did get to that stage as well, mm. sort of, you know, pushing weights. But in terms of um, the fitness side of things, that was the first time. And it was at first, it was quite strange. It was really strange that I was, um, you know. And I've got a friend who's a runner. She's a real runner, and she says when she's driving and she sees someone running, she actually has pangs of jealousy mm. because um, that person's running and she's not, and she's really addicted to running. So. It's true. I sometimes get that feeling um, for swimming, actually. I swam a lot when I was younger. And uh, and now I still say that I love it, but I can't even – I mean, to swim laps has been a long time. You know? uh-huh. But then when I watch other people or you watch the Olympics or something, you're like, oh. Like you do. You get like this pang of jealousy. You're like, yeah. look how good they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the amazing thing with fitness is it is just about commitment and dedication. I mean, sure, yeah. to be an Olympic swimmer is a whole different story. But to get to a level of, of good competency and mm. that's the one, you know, I love many things about Sydney. But the one thing, one of the things that I do love is that there is such a culture of getting fit here and being active. And of course our weather lends itself so wonderfully. You go to the mm. beach um, at 6 a.m. in the morning and any beach around Sydney and you'll just see it at 6 a.m. just chock full of people doing all sorts of exercises. Mm, and some of them are triple your age and and four times your fitness levels, you know. Mm. Anyway, that's episode 83. Um, thank you for joining us. My name is Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO of Manage Flitter. Uh, with me has been my co-host Kate Fappell, who's the design lead of Manage Flitter. And we try to put together a entertaining, informational, conversational podcast every week. We've committed to doing this every week, talking about getting outside our comfort zone as well. It's just many weeks, we're so busy, we'd like to just pass it over, but then uh, we know that we'll never come back to it. So thank you for your support and um, check in every Friday or Saturday for a new edition of this podcast. And um, as usual, we will see you next week. See ya.